Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Eurovision Legends. The 2022 contest in Turin has now passed, and as we all know, it ended with a landslide victory for Ukraine and Kalush Orchestra. As they swept up almost all the televotes that they could, in addition to a good amount of jury votes as well, and setting a record that is very unlikely ever to be beaten with the current voting system. With that said, this is going to be a very special episode. It will be the most important episode of this podcast that we have ever done. I'm pretty sure that it will not be the longest, probably not the most revealing or shocking, and definitely not the one with the most laughs. But it will be the most important. Before Eurovision took place, I had the opportunity to do an interview with the then most recent Ukrainian winner, Jamala. This interview had to be rather brief and was conducted under special circumstances due to the fact that Jamala currently has escaped her war-torn home country after the dreadful Russian invasion and now resides in an undisclosed location. Besides talking about her victory in Stockholm and of her other appearances in relation to Eurovision, it was of course inevitable that much of the interview came to be about the war and the current situation for both her and her people. This is Eurovision Legends. We are your fellow human beings, Emil Löfström and Markus Björkander. Slava Ukraini! Too serious a topic to handle myself. So today I'm joined by my trusty sidekick, Marcus Bjorkander. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you. Yes, the situation in Ukraine is definitely serious, and we will talk quite a lot about it today. And it doesn't affect only Ukraine, but all of Europe and indeed the world. Not least us here in what we thought was secure Sweden. I'm convinced that if the Russian dictator had been able to steamroll Ukraine the way he thought he would, he would have continued with probably Moldova, Georgia and then Finland and Sweden. Since most other countries are protected by the NATO membership, you mean? Precisely. So here in Sweden and Finland, we will be forever grateful to the brave Ukrainians who, by fighting so fiercely to defend themselves, give us the time to apply for membership. Thank you, Ukraine, and we hope to be joined by you in both NATO and the EU as soon as possible, if that is what you wish. As we all know, this is not a new conflict. In February 2014, Russia invaded Crimea and has since occupied it. They, of course, use different words for what they are doing, but let us call it what it is. Alas! The rest of the world did not respond as swiftly and strongly already then as we are doing now. Yes, and this only goes to prove that the only thing you will achieve by giving a bully an inch is that you'll have him one inch closer and more confident. Yeah, and somebody who has warned us since then and during this entire time is today's main guest, Jamala. 
Her winning song in 2016 was a cleverly disguised critique of the Russian actions, and she has since kept on fighting for Ukraine, not least in her work on various juries to select the Ukrainian Eurovision entries. And I suspect that, as usual, you have done your research and know most of what there is to know about Jamala, right? Yeah, well, I have done my best. Um, let me introduce her. Jamala was born in Kyrgyzstan in 1983, when it was still a part of the Soviet Union. Her father is a Muslim Crimean Tatar, her mother is Armenian, and her real name is Susanna Jamaladinova. She is a trained opera singer, but her career has been mainly in pop music. Her first single was released in 2010 as part of an album almost entirely in English, and she first tried out for the Eurovision ticket in 2011 with the song Smile. Have you heard that song? No, I haven't. Can't you play a snippet of it? Here it comes. When alone, you go to brand new place. When you live where you belong. Don't forget to put a smile in face. I know that she didn't win in 2011 since Ukraine sent Mika Newton with the song Angel and that brilliant sand artist. So how did it go for Jamala? Well, she ended up third, but do you know who came second? I have no idea. Even my Eurovision nerdiness is limited, but obviously yours isn't. Who? It was my favorite artist from 2013, actually. Slata Ognevich? Yeah. In 2011, she sang the song Kukushka. Seems like that was a national selection filled with Eurovision royalty, at least future royalty. But let's focus on Jamala. Yes, and one notable detail is that she almost didn't get to compete in 2016, since in the national selection she tied for first place with another song called Helpless, with the band The Hard Kiss, and finally won as she had more televotes. I didn't know that. Either you are eerily knowledgeable (laughs) to the extent of making me worried, or you have just done your research very well. Well, Marcus, you don't need to suck up. I allow you to stay either way. Thank you. And for you, listeners, as always, but more than ever, please share this episode with anyone who might be interested. Jamala's message is important for the world to hear. It will be extremely helpful if you somehow are able to share this with any Russians that you happen to know. Yes, They are at the moment living in some kind of alternate reality of heavily censored and tailored information created by their own government. And any grain of reality that we can provide to them 
is worth a lot. Yeah, that is probably the most valuable action either of us can provide in this situation. I mean, it is a war of information as much as it is of missiles and bombs. And let us just reiterate that this interview was recorded before Eurovision in Turin and Ukraine's third victory. So when you refer to Ukraine's two victories and such like, it's not a case of acute amnesia. Uh, It's good that you pointed this out, Marcus. Let us listen to my conversation with Jamala, recorded in early May of 2022. Welcome to Eurovision Legends, Jamala. We are truly grateful that you are taking the time to speak to us in these horrifying and dangerous times, and you have our deepest sympathies for what you and your people are currently experiencing. We understand that you managed to flee Ukraine at the beginning of this war, and that you prefer not to reveal where you are currently located and exactly what your life looks like right now. How much do you personally feel threatened by Russia today? Unfortunately, this is no longer a threat, but a real danger. Not just for me, but for millions of Ukrainians. Thousands of people are killed, tortured, abused and raped in real time. Uh, We will come back around to speak more about the invasions, but let us for a moment rewind the tape to 2016. What was your relation to Eurovision back then? And what made you decide to apply to represent Ukraine in the contest? I have a lot of respect for Eurovision. It's such a big platform with a huge audience. But the most important is that the contest unites Europe, which is what it was designed to do in the first place. It gives plenty of opportunities both for the musicians and countries. I'm grateful to the Eurovision showing and acting in support of Ukraine and sanctioning Russia among the first organizations. It's a great encouragement of freedom and peace all around the world. Your song was called 1944 as a reference to the Soviet deportations of the Crimean Tatars, which was also very current in 2016, as this was shortly after the still ongoing Russian occupation of the Ukrainian peninsula of Crimea. In a sense, you were one of the first people to really warn the world about Russia's actions, and we see now exactly how right you, alas, were. Can you tell us about how the song 1944 came to be? The song was created in 2015, way before the massive Russian invasion of all Ukrainian territory. The 1944 tells the story of my great-grandmother, who was deported from Crimea by Soviets in 1944. It is not a prediction, but a confirmation. No one has learned the lessons of history, no afterworld War II, no after many Soviet deportations. Today we all witness the war crimes and they are happening according to the same textbook. Kill, rape, destroy and most importantly, lie and deny. The more incredible lies are, the better. When strangers are coming, they come to your house. They kill you all and say, We're not guilty, not guilty 
Where's your mind? Humanity cries You think you are God But everyone dies Don't swallow my soul Our souls Submit more songs than 1944 for 2016, or have you submitted other songs afterwards? Participated in the national selection with the song Smile. It got good feedback from both European fans and Ukrainian listeners, but it didn't win. I take it easy. I think that everything happens for a reason at its own time. Well, the contest in 2016 turned out to be a three-way thriller between yourself, Australian Damim, who has been a guest on this podcast, and Sergei Lazarev from Russia. Oh, at that time, the Russian TV channels wanted to discredit me as much as possible. They wanted to prevent me from participating. They made up monstrous stories about me. They use the same tactics nowadays in spreading lies about war in Ukraine. The more improbable the lie, the more effective it is. Given the circumstances... Did you speak to Sergei in Stockholm and what was that like? And are you still in contact today? Sergei and I, of course, communicated because we were standing closely. And I remember him saying to me, I can imagine how how much pressure you are under right now. I'm under pressure as well and so on and so forth. What's important, he told me afterwards that it was an absolutely fair win. In my opinion, it's important to have both voids, a professional jury and people. It gives the contest an opportunity to move forward, to develop, to change the, the, to change the genre. Today is electronics, tomorrow rock, the next jazz. I think it helps the contest stay relevant for so many years. I think it helps the contest stay... Mm, stay stay real. Do you have any other memories from Stockholm? Perhaps something interesting or funny to reveal to us what happened behind the scenes? I was nervous a lot at that time, which is why lunch was my peaceful time. And maybe because of it, I still remember a little stand with Thai food in Stockholm or a big team loved to eat there. I still remember how delicious it was. And in general, everything was great, despite the fact that at breakfast I could be called by journalists from Russia TV channel. What would you say the victory meant for you? And what did it mean for Ukraine? Um, it was a lot and still is. It was all in one justice, happiness, recognition, opportunity to speak out about the injustice. <laughs> At the same time, hope for people to understand that violence brings only destruction 
and grief for generations to come. As for Ukraine, I think it showed Europe once again that Ukraine is a strong and talented nation. Friend of the podcast, Christy Björkman, spent some months in Ukraine in 2017 to help organize the contest from Kiev. And he has appeared on this podcast and told us about all the chaos that took place. Yes, indeed. Why do you think that the organization of the competition in 2017 was so chaotic? There was some house. I don't have uh, all the details to comment, but what I remember is that the contest itself went well. In any case, I hope that in the future we will prepare for such large-scale events with more responsibility. After your victory, you have many times participated in the juries helping to select the Ukrainian representatives. And several times there have been severe controversies, like in 2020 when Maruv won. Bang. But Ukraine ended up withdrawing from the contest. And, and this year when the winner was disqualified and replaced with a runner-up due to uh, illegal movements involving occupied Crimea. Um, can you tell us a little about these events and, and the, about the jury work in general? To be a member of the jury is an important and difficult task for me because the contest is unpredictable itself and no one can know for sure who will win and why. So I try to choose based on a few universal criteria: quality of the performance, the song and artist's charisma. Every participant of Eurovision is a culture ambassador of a country they represent. That's why it's so important to choose carefully. In times when Ukraine has been in a state of war with Russia, the competitors have to make responsible choices as well. For example, Maruf had a choice and requested himself from participation. I think it was the right choice. Um, back in 2017, Russia selected a young girl in a wheelchair, uh, Yulia Samoylova, to be the representative. Um, despite knowing that she had previously entered Crimea from Russia, which would automatically mean that she would be barred from entering Ukraine to compete, and Russia later withdrew altogether, despite actions from the EBU to mediate. Uh, do you believe that it was ever the intention of Russia to participate? Or do you, as we do, think that this was just a Kremlin scheme to try to get sympathy for Russia and to paint Ukraine as the aggressor who wouldn't allow the poor disabled girl into the country? How can I say? This is Russia's choice and uh, I don't want to speculate about their motives. Some of the really big Ukrainian artists uh, who are also familiar to us from their participations in Eurovision, and uh, thinking of Anilorak and Svetlana Loboda, uh, 
just to mention some of them, have huge careers, not only in Ukraine, but also in Russia. And they even have Russian record labels. How do Ukrainian artists in general regard this? And is there even some kind of divide between artists who choose different ways to deal with the situation? It is everyone's personal choice and they are responsible for it. Ukraine is undoubtedly the most impressive country to join the Eurovision Song Contest in this millennium with two victories and several other really impressive results, despite having competed for less than two decades. Do you have any personal favorite memories apart from your own victory? I was most inspired by Lorraine because we have something in common. She is a barber who lives in Stockholm. She often speaks about Berber rights in Morocco in the Arab world. She was the first who wrote to me when the war started. She offered help. They organized they organized concerts uh, with musicians and raised 4 million euros to help Ukraine. Eurovision is a very strong community. Each participant can influence the people in their own country and it's a huge force. I'm grateful to be a part of this force. Um, EBU, who runs the Eurovision Song Contest, always stubbornly try to separate politics from the contest and from music. Do you believe that is even possible? No, I don't think it's possible because this is an Olympic Games. One goes out with a flag. If you go out with a flag, you have an anthem. If you sing the anthem, then you have a country. And if you have a country, it has politics. So it's impossible to separate this particular contest from politics. I don't think so. The Eurovision project once started to connect countries closer together. And response from the EBU regarding the invasion was to exclude Russia from the contest and the organization. What do you think about this reaction and of all the other reactions from the rest of the world in response to the atrocities that Russia is currently performing in Ukraine? Honestly. It is the only right way. And I'm grateful to EBU for the courage to stand up for justice. But what else can we from the rest of the world do? I mean, what would be the best ways for us and for our listeners to provide help to the Ukrainian people? I mean, apart from the obvious things like sending money and opening up our countries and homes for the Ukrainians. The most important thing now is to pressure politicians and urge them to provide Ukraine with the weapons so we can stop the Russian army and the violence they bring all around Europe. Continue to protest on the streets, write to politicians on social media, demand actions, not words. I also want to say thank you to 
everyone who is helping Ukraine right now. Because of that, Ukraine is fighting so bravely for all of us, for peace and freedom in Europe. But Jamala, can you even imagine how this situation will play out? I can't, but I hope good will prevail evil, law over injustice, peace over war, love over hate. Again, thank you so extremely much for this opportunity to talk to you. Our thoughts are with you and your fellow brave Ukrainians every day. Thank you so much. Yours, Jamala. That was a really moving interview. And I totally get why so much of it was about the war. It must be so hard to focus on such a trivial thing as Eurovision in times like these. Yeah, which of course makes what Kalush Orchestra managed to do even more impressive. True. It was a very special edition of the contest this year. And the score of the winning song was extreme. I mean, the average score from the televoters was a whopping 11.26. Yeah, I know. And no televoting country gave less than seven points. So I seriously doubt that record could ever be beaten with the current point system. Totally agree. not forget that Kalush Orchestra actually didn't win the Ukrainian selection initially, but only finished second. Yeah, that's true. This might be the only time when an entry has gotten a better place in Eurovision than in its national selection. Well, I'm certain though that Ukraine would have won Eurovision with their first selection as well. Let's listen to Alina Pash with Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. I'm a girl from a small town. My folks are best described in writings of Dumas. One for all and all for one. Nowadays, Dante would have written the divine tragedy. But we need Picasso's doll. It's the divine strategy. And my childhood girls played with toy dolls. But I wrote these words here. Cause my fairy tale was a book of Shakespeare. Just like the brothers Grimm, I leave behind a piece of me. Remember your ancestors, but write your own history. As you said in the interview, the reason why this song wasn't sent to Eurovision was that there were some questions about the artist visiting Crimea in an illegal way. Did you know, Marcus, that this is episode number 146 of Eurovision Legends? 
I would have guessed something like that, but that's a lot of episodes in a very short time. Very impressive, since most of the work has been done by you, and I've only helped a little. But as we said before, I think that this episode might be the most important of them all. Do you have any other episodes in store after this? This might surprise you now, but actually, I don't. I wanted to publish this episode, but right now, I don't know when we will be back with regular episodes. But you aren't planning to end the entire show. No, 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 no. We're always open to ideas for new guests. So if you happen to know a Eurovision legend or somebody with Eurovision legends to tell that you would like to hear on this podcast, please send me a suggestion. And even better, if you happen to be such a person yourself, please contact us. You can find this podcast on every podcast platform. You can visit the homepage at eurovisionlegends.se and find us on social media such as Facebook and Instagram. And you can email me at emil at slagervannerna.se. And with that said, Marcus, Slava Ukraini! Our thoughts are with you. Oh, 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 oh,